Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondercheck, and I am one of your hosts. I'm the head coach at Top Step Training. We also have Elliot with us. Hey, everybody. This is Elliot Bassett. I'm uh, the head coach, the only coach at Mountain Endurance. And Marilyn? Hey, guys. Marilyn Chakota. You can check me out at mcc.coach and find everything about me there. Happy to be here. I like how you say, check me out while you're on a podcast. That's uh... <laughs> yep. today. Today, we are going to talk about the habits and patterns of successful racers, kind of focusing on mental strategies and race mindset and all things about how to get your head around racing and kind of what that looks like in the preparation phase. And even what that might look like in the execution phase, because race season is here. We have Clash Miami this weekend. Have we had anything big yet? We've had some some short stuff. Um, Claremont Challenge last weekend. Yeah, Claremont Challenge. There's the Couples Championship. There was the Abu da- or the Dubai seventy point three. There's races all over the place. If you're into watching races and getting chubby like me. If you're into doing races, there's still races too. So yeah, and Oceanside's just around the corner. Race season is in full swing. So yeah, we thought we'd talk a little bit about some of those things you can ingrain, some of those habits you can really try and develop so that you can execute a race like a true professional or champion. Beneficial in racing is something that Marilyn deems arousal control. And what? you didn't tell me you're going to say this. <laughs> well, it's better that way. And when I said it at camp, every time I was like, okay, we're all adults. We can all giggle a little. <laughs> and then we went and did a, a 5k running race. And at the 400, I was maybe 10th out of everyone doing the 5k running race. And then by the mile, I was kind of off in the front a little bit. And I think those people all didn't really take to heart Marilyn's really strong lecture on arousal control. They got aroused way too fast. I mean, if you were watching this race, you'd have seen some aroused humans. Um, Sprinting full speed. <laughs> like it's the start of the third grade gym class mile. Exactly. Exactly. And I kind of want to start there because that's the start of the race. And it's a good thing to think about is like, well, how am I going to approach this? And I think that we were working on that in camp because it's a good skill to have to start practicing now, because if you're starting a long distance race and you burn all your matches in the first, whatever it is, 400, you're going to be in a situation. Yeah. I was like, you know, I talked to people about that through, we just had our Tucson training camp and we had a couple opportunities early on the camp. We did a a short time trial on the bike. And then the next day, the 5k running race. And we really, you know, you can talk and talk and talk about pacing strategy to people and the importance of, you know, the front end of the race being appropriately paced. And the other thing that I touched on was being appropriately paced for the fitness level you're at at this point in the year. So you're not trying to pace according to when you're in your lifetime best performance in the peak part of the season. And um, so we talked about that and it was really interesting to watch, you know, people get a little, even just in test sets, they get a little bit nervous or they get excited and, and where they, where their brain goes almost 
even the most veteran athletes that we had at camp. In fact, one of the, the most veteran athletes, she was like every single one of these, I just went out and blew up in the first, you know, 33 minutes or of, of both of these, of both of these time trials. And this is someone who's like really successful and really experienced and has been a high level athlete their whole life. And so it's interesting to see how much practice that takes and how much fine tuning it takes. Because of course, when we're racing, and especially if you're doing a short distance, you got to go hard, right? But it's like, how hard is too hard at the beginning? And especially like, when you're aroused, it's <laughs> this conversation, you guys, come on. So yeah, I mean, and, and just I have learn. said nothing. I am in the clear. <laughs> just, you know, like that, that takes a little reminder at the start of the year. What does that mean? Every year too. I feel like it's one of those things where you have to relearn that. And I think, yeah, it's a perfect way to say, Hey, like, you know, you need to relearn this lesson. Yeah. And that piano hits you, you know, at three minutes in and we went into, (laughs) (laughs) right. All of a sudden you got a piano on your back and we really went just doing like 400 breasts, like our butterfly. Like what, what, what race was this? No, we did we did a time trial on the bike. It was like a it's a it's just slightly under a six mile TT on the bike. So like it works out to be right around a 15 like, minutes, give or take. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, somewhere between sure. and 20 minutes, like a, a yeah. solid early season benchmark FTP that's not going to kill someone. Um, and then a 5K flat running race. And so both of those, you know, you and can- I know that loop because that's my house loop. Yeah. So we, you know, we really just gave people the opportunity to be exposed to that again and what it means to to really pace and understand that and um but there was a lot of great examples through the week of of you know preparing people for what it takes to race well and watching people's habits and patterns and how they respond to things so so yeah we'll be able to touch on that a lot today we want to get right into this it's like best okay so I think what one of the worst examples of my life of arousal control is uh, my first varsity your, your match. Your first what? <laughs> my my first time I was wearing very little clothes in front of a large crowd, uh, <laughs> maybe a thousand or so people. It was the I, so I was the lightest weight in high school, and this was my first varsity match in high school um, to start off the season. There's whatever in wrestling. 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 So we're talking about wrestling. So me and one other 103 pound kid, um, whom the last time I had wrestled was in junior high at like the, this championship event. And it was an insane match that ended in me getting choked illegally and the ref being friends of that guy's, uh, dad anyways. So I didn't like this kid. We hadn't seen each other in two years. And there's a lot of people watching and in wrestling, it's quite common for somebody to like tap the other person's head. You do not punch them. Punching is very much illegal. You're not supposed to slap someone either, but you can tap them on the head pretty darn hard to the point where it's almost a smack. So this guy taps me on the head very hard, maybe to the point where it's a smack. And my immediate response was a full blown, like open fist, open (laughs) fist punch. And that is not allowed. And so the ref blows his whistle. You have to remember, we weigh 103 pounds. <laughs> and the ref is like a normal sized man who you might think hangs out at wrestling meets. So he's like two and a half times our size. And he just blows the whistle and stops the match. This is not a normal thing that happens. And he just blows the whistle, separates us. 
And it's just like, boys, it's a long season and you guys got to calm down. And like, and then I pinned him because he sucked. Um, but the point is that uh, like, I probably learned more from that one moment than so many swim, bike, run races um, just because it was so dramatic of like, there's people watching you and it's seared into your brain. It, and the other thing is in combat sports, like it's a lot of pressure and it's pressure, not just you pr providing on yourself. Um, and I think that's just like an interesting way. So in my experience, I've raced bikes with a lot of people who wrestled and I've always felt like they were able to handle that a bit better. And bike racing is a lot of responding to stuff. So something I'm not suggesting triathletes go rest, start wrestling or do BJJ or whatever, or go get punched. Probably a bad idea. But what Brazilian I would is what he was. Yeah. Jesse's face Brazil, was like, yes. what the hell is that? Oh yeah. BJJ Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. This is where you find out Elliot watches people wrestle way too much. Um, the point is that bike racing has a lot of attacks and it's variable and it's pressure being applied to you that you are not expecting and cannot control. And one of the reasons somebody might do a bike race or do a group ride that I don't think we've explicitly talked about in our previous 66 podcasts is getting used to pressure being applied to you not from yourself and you not being able to control it. And then you having to adjust in the face of this new adversity. And that's why I just talked for five minutes about nothing to get to that point. Um, and I think, you know, like Jesse, you've done the shootout a million times. Um, and I think you've also been in a, in a bike race in a triathlon where you swim crazy hard and you're chasing on for dear life. And you are, you, you are comfortable in the pocket of, this is totally out of my control, but what can I control? Is that fair to say? Yes. So I'm, I'm kind of like curious because like Marilyn's race bikes more than either of us combined. But before we let Marilyn talk about her experiences with that, like what are your thoughts as to like what have you learned and what are other ways you've put yourself in that position? Yeah, no, I think that that actually goes really well with, you know, the topic because what I have learned is basically not to panic and that you know, if you see a break up the road or if like the group is, whoa, whoa, let's, let's tell them let's, this is 99% where the real gains are made. Don't tell them what not to do. Tell them what to do. What's well, that's what is how not I'm, panicking. I'm, I'm, <laughs> so not panicking is like, what I used to do is, is absolutely panic. Like there's a gap. I need to close it right now. And I would ride at, you know, like 380 Watts for like three minutes and like, <laughs> I, and then I close it. And then I am 100% blown. And now I know, well, my strength is probably riding a little closer to threshold. So if I need to close this gap, I can do it, but I need to do it in 10 minutes, not in a minute and a half. Um, so learning how to use my strengths and apply them in, in the situation appropriately, maybe if like Elliot is a little bit more explosive, it might be easier for him to say, I'm just going to close this really quick and then sit back in and I'll be fine. Like, I know I can't do that. So kind of learning how to stay controlled and not let that like panic sensation of like, there's a gap. I need it to be closed. I, I should try and do it as fast as possible. Um, and whether that's a race or like a group ride, you know, that's, that's definitely something I used to always try and do and then not understand why I would just get completely steamrolled off the back. So yeah, learning, learning how to control how much I, how much I'm applying the pressure back in those situations. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the really important word that you said in there, Jesse is 
is panic. And it's not just, uh, yeah, but not just pressure applied from, so for, for a lot of people, the idea of pressure applied from competitors might not, they might be listening and say, well, that's not relevant to me. There's going to be a portion where it is, they race in a professional race or they're in strong competition with their um, amateur peers where they're going to feel that kind of pressure. Although with the way the format, a lot of races are now, it's not really head to head racing. So they, they might not know, but the other way this comes into play, and it's exactly the same thing that we're talking about is pressure and how you respond to it is pressure from the elements. You know, if, if all of a sudden you're in a, in a position where like we experienced throughout our camp as well is it's extremely windy and you're getting pressure from the elements that's out of your control. And you have a decision on how you're going to respond to this. Now you can put yourself in a position where you panic and burn your own matches. And now the wind has beaten you, but really you beat yourself, right? I mean, you responded to it in a way that put you in a bad position to continue on and, and be able to handle it really well. Or you just, like you said, there's pressure from a competitor and you understand like, okay, this is, I can close this gap slowly, or actually this gap isn't even worth closing because this person who's created the gap is going to blow up four hours down the road. And, and it's a calculated decision on this, you know, is this worth expending energy on right now? And it's the same thing in, in elements, whether it's, you know, okay, well, this is some pretty crazy wind. I have a choice to make here on how I handle this. I can either burn all my matches and fight, you know, try and, wrestle my way through it and end up blowing up or, you know, cracking at some point because it's too much, or I can lean into it, settle in and find a, find a way to plow through this in a, in a way that's going to get me there strong in the end and be able to handle it, you know, and how are you still going to do all the things that you need to like get your nutrition in and, um, you know, pick gearing so that your legs aren't going to be burned out, all these kinds of things. So it's, it's really, I think the moral of all of that is it's making calculated and and smart decisions when the pressure is on, right? That's the most important thing as a really top competitor is being able to make good decisions when anyone can make decisions when good decisions when it's going well. But it's when when we're when the pressure's on and the heat's on in any different way. And it's usually we can also make good decisions when pressure is on that we expect. Right. We all go into something thinking, oh, yeah, I expect this guy or this gal to put pressure on me. I expect this person to be fast or I expect it to be hot today. We're already well rehearsed for that. But it's when the unexpected stuff happens. And now we're put in a position of pressure. So now it's the decision making process that sees whether we're, you know, have those skills to be successful and still still be in the game or not. And I think. Go, Jesse. Sorry, I think the, the cool thing about this is. Every time you do a workout, you can practice this, right? You can practice that restraint at the beginning of an interval, even if you're not in an extreme situation. Like let's say you're still training inside because it's cold where you live. And so you're in kind of a con controlled environment, but like you could, your execution in every interval of every workout or, you know, every session that you do is like a great time to practice the pacing strategy that you need to have, like to be successful. And you can ingrain that habit by having successful workouts and then you show up at the race and you're like, well, I know what works for me. And I know it's starting out a little bit under my target power or tar target pace and trying to slowly lift that up. Not the other way around where I go absolutely ballistic for a minute and then fizzle fade. Um, 
So, <laughs> yeah. <waiting> is fun. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't feel good ever. It doesn't ever feel good. Um, so, so yeah, you have all these opportunities to ingrain that as a habit so that when you show up in competition and it's harder because there is so much of this other stimulus, like arousing you, getting you like primed and ready to race and, and make, I don't want to take you out of that habit. But again, if you've like thought about it and it's been a conscious choice and it's ingrained in your execution strategy of how you do every session, then I think it'll be easier to actually execute on race day. So I guess that's one of the takeaways I would give to people is like, you know, we talked a lot about what we don't want you to do. We've talked about how to respond appropriately. And I think one thing to think about is like become mentally engaged in how you're executing your sessions now so that on race day, like you, you've practiced that both physically and mentally, and you can stay clicked in and do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, so, it's got a spike kind of joint. What's that? I said a spikely joint. <laughs> Scott even touched on that when he talked about, you know, in, our, in the last podcast where he talked about the sessions that he puts in front of people on purpose to prepare them for this kind of stuff, right? So whether it's pressure from competitors or elements or that kind of thing, but also just being, you know, developing those habits of how you're going to respond. So if you know the first time you're put in that position, your, your response is to pull the pin, like you pull the ripcord, panic. Uh, let your emotions get the best of you, get pissed off, angry, you know, all of these things that are going to distract you away from being able to be successful, then you can develop the, you know, the actual habits and, and, you know, res the correct responses over and over again, and you get better and better at that. You know, I know for me, uh, where I learned that lesson really, really on, you were talking about other sports is in show jumping, because if you lose your cool, everything happens so fast and the animal feels everything. If you, if you lose your cool within even for a second, everything falls apart really, really fast. So having that ability to, to really stay focused and, and have the right response in moments of pressure is, I mean, it's just magnified huge in that sport. I think um, one thing we haven't said explicitly yet is uh, <clears throat> when you're, when you're under pressure, et cetera, and things are, are going awry, the first question you always need to, to ask yourself is what can I control, right? You can't, you guys were talking about wind. You can't control wind, but you can control what gear you're in. You can control how you sit on the bike. You can control if that makes you nervous or less nervous, right? You can control in a way, like where you ride in the road, um, the same thing, like if it's, if it's weather, et cetera, there's, there's almost always something you can control. And so that's kind of like the, the baseline of everything. It's like, you have an action that you need to do and you need to be comfortable <laughs> making that decision and everything else we were just talking about for the last five, 10 minutes, um, is all things we can control, right? We're, so then it, it's just you asking yourself, can I control this or not? And getting really comfortable with the idea. If the answer is I can't control this, it needs to just not be a part of your decision-making process. Your decision-making process is what can you do to then mitigate whatever the problem is? And that's it. And if you spend any time, any mental energy on the thing you can't control, you're just losing to somebody who doesn't give a shit because they're like, it's raining or there's hail in my face. Okay. That sucks. I need to make sure the hail is not hitting me in the eye because I'm not getting injured, you know, but then ultimately you need to figure out a path forward, whatever that might be. 
and you need to start figuring that path forward immediately. Um, and that's, that's like, whether it's a race or it's training, that's going to serve you well. And you, you know, you can think about a lot of these things ahead of time with, with weather forecasts or whatnot, but when in a, in a bike race, you're not expecting whatever tactic you kind of just have to process. What can I do now? Um, and that's, I think if I only say one thing today, that's probably it. Yeah. I also, I also think that like one of the major things to cue into, and this applies to both the pressure topic, but as well as the pacing topic that we started with is, um, really dialing in to make sure as an athlete, you're always responding logically and not emotionally. Right. That's which is, which is exactly like, that's what you can control, right? You're like, I can, I can change my gear on my bike. I can, Oh, I'm not comfortable in my aero bars down low in the wind, then I'll ride higher and I'll be more comfortable. And then the emotion of it, like once you control those things, it's easier to control the emotion when you're less stressed. Yeah. And even like we saw with the 5k TT and I made this really this point, and I'm not sure people heard it really enough. Uh, when I said, make sure that your pacing strategy is based on your current fitness for the time of year, not the, not your goal 5k time at your peak fitness in the season, or after you've done, you know, a very focused period of block of speed and threshold work to be able to handle your absolute best 5k, but logically understanding this is where my training's at in February at the start of the season. And this is a base, you know, test in the middle of a camp and what should my pace and effort be so that then, you know, so that the, the very, the very real things like after the first 90 seconds into that first three, five minutes that you're not flooding your body with lactate that it can't handle and it can't flush and use. And, and it ends up seeing you go flying backwards into it. You know, like it's just understanding what's actually happening with your body, where you are and being very logical about that. And then applying that accordingly so that you're successful. And I think that's where people get away from is that they turn it into emotion and sort of like in dreamland, instead of just saying like very practically, this is where things are at. And then just sticking to that. Yeah. One of the, one of the bullet points I have written down is being your best in each moment. And I think that's like, if you respond logically, that's kind of how you do that. Right. Like if I know if I come through T2 and I'm yelling at Amy about something that happened on the bike, I'm not thinking about the run. And that's like, I'm totally in the wrong spot. Right. I need to mentally be thinking about exactly what's happening right now. Not worrying about whatever emotional thing happened on the bike. Not worrying about whatever else is going to happen. I need to kind of be doing what I can do at my absolute best in every moment. And, and I think, yeah, if you're staying like logical, instead of, instead of getting really emotional about things, it really helps you keep that mindset of, of being present and, Again, like just do it being your best self right then. And yeah, not worrying about the things you can't control and not worrying about things that already happened because you can't control things that are done. Just saying, what can I control now? How can I move forward the fastest right now? What do I need to do to keep moving forward as fast as I can? I think uh, one thing you just nailed is if you're screaming at a volunteer, you're probably not doing very good in the race and you're a jerk. No, no, no. I was screaming, um, I was screaming at Amy, not a volunteer. No, no, no. <laughs> I know you were screaming at Amy. Okay, right. I know you would never scream at a volunteer, but I'm just saying if you're listening to this and you ever screamed at a volunteer, there is no excuse. Um, and now you're you making probably shouldn't yourself... scream at Amy either, though. Yeah, I've never, I've never <laughs> Amy screamed is a volunteer. At Amy. <laughs> yeah. 
I definitely have never screamed. I've been screamed at by her, you know. <laughs> well, you probably deserve that. Yeah, right? I definitely deserved it. But um, no, I don't think I've ever. That would be no good. I've definitely heard, Elliot, what are you doing? Sorry. I'll clean the dishes. Um, yeah, for I've those got... wondering, I've stayed in their guest house. It's not weird for Jesse's wife to tell me to do the dishes. <laughs> right. Just to be clear what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think I've been test I've definitely been tested over the years when I was when I was training. I was always put in positions when I was racing and training full time where I was typically training with groups of men who were a lot stronger than me. And you know, it was it was something almost on a daily basis where I was put in a position where I could either crack and start, you know, yelling and screaming at them to like, you know, slow down. I need this, blah, 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 you know, all these things. And, and your brain can go a lot of different places with that, especially being like, like in, in a lot of those cases, I was the only female there. You could throw that out there. You know, I'm, a, I'm the only woman here. You guys need to do, you know, you just start pointing fingers and yelling and making all kinds of excuses. But in reality, it's just like, Hey, it's up to you to keep your cool and keep, doing exactly what you need to be doing to get as strong as you can in that moment. And that's not anybody else's responsibility at that point. It's your responsibility. And, and you've got to make decisions for yourself. If, if you need to, you know, back off or you need to, you know, look after yourself a little better, but too many people start pointing the fingers in other directions to make it other people's responsibility for them to be successful. And that's when the, you know, their emotions are really, really high. And so it's when you notice those things in the heat of competition or in those sessions that are really pressuring you in terms of the work capacity, maybe it's pushing you to a new limit or something's being thrown at you that is completely new and it's breaking new bar barriers. It's like, okay, how am I, how am I responding this? I had a really good example of this one time I was in a training camp in Thailand with a, with a group. And I was put on the track with a group of ITU racers and we were doing really fast 200s and I'm, I'm not, I'm not fast running at all. And so this was working on a weakness and we were instructed to leave on a very specific time on these 200s every time, no matter what time, what pace art we got in the 200, we had to leave on, leave on the 50 every time. It was like, leave on the 50, leave on the 50. And I noticed that the group that I was running with started leaving early every time. And because they were faster and I was like, just trailing in and barely getting enough rest. And I was like, 180s plus heart rate. And I, I freaked out and was like, I'm leaving on the 50. And I'm like, you know, I was very adamant about like following the exact rules and my temper got the best of me. And I wanted to control the other girls because this was like how it was supposed to go. And the coach just looked at me and was like, well, you can stand here and have a temper tantrum, but the race is running away from you. You know, and it was like, you better, you better basically get your, get your head in the right place and understand that all you can control is what you can do and stay on task of what you're supposed to be doing and stop having a temper tantrum and yelling at the other girls and work on getting faster. And that's what I had control over. And that was like a really, really important lesson that obviously stuck with me for years and years, you know, it was like, Hey, you can, you can stand here and be pissed off about X, Y, and Z and all these other things, or you can just own your part and do what you can do to do this workout the right way, because the race just ran away from you while you're busy being pissed off. So, so that's something that's, but the, uh, I'm just kind of curious because in that case, the workout, like your workout was to just do your set or were you supposed to change it and just chase them, which then becomes a race, which isn't your set. 
No, it was that I was meant to just refocus on what I was supposed to be doing and ex- execute that properly. But instead I was, which I, is I chill out, the, but chill yeah, out, I, let them run away. And, and who cares? At the point, at that point, I wasn't even doing the workout anymore. And I was standing on the side of the track, like bitching about them screwing out the workout and pointing at my watch and getting pissed off and trying to tell the coach what was going on. And I wasn't doing the work anymore. I was standing on the track, make saying all of these things, even though I was, you know, and he was like, what are you doing? Like, you just missed, you missed your send off and about five other ones that you were supposed to make. Cause you've been standing here bitching this whole time. Like do your, do your set, you know? And so um, that's how I should have responded. I should have just stayed on task of exactly what I was supposed to be doing and not worry about what they were all doing. And now I've got to like yell at them and then tell the coach. And like, that was none of my business. All I needed to do was sure. keep doing my workout, you know, and that was an important lesson. So in that vein, a lot of workouts, people, coaches give a range, right? You're supposed to run X pace to X pace, right? Maybe it's five seconds a mile. Maybe it's 10 seconds a mile. Maybe it's two or three seconds, a hundred, if you're in the pool, whatever it might be. Um, and two of the best athletes I've worked with are exceptional at showing up. And let's say just cause it's a round number, they're supposed to run a six minute mile plus or minus three seconds. Right. And they're just not having a good day. And both of these athletes are like their best part is they'll show up and they're not having their best day and they don't quit. They don't complain. And they just do the workout at the low end of the range and get the work done and don't freak out. Like there's a range for a reason, right? And most people look at a range and then they shift it to the fastest time to a little bit faster than that to the range. And they think the top end time is actually the range. And it's like, no, especially if I wrote the workout, the range is the range, like right in the middle is great. The fast end is like, you're having a good day. And the slow end is you're not having a good day, but it's still good work. And it's not going to push you over the edge or anything. Um, And I think a lot of people are, are not comfortable with that idea of like, right. Oh, well it said six minute pace and I'm doing six Oh three or six Oh four. And they go in and they get the workout done. They get fueled up and they carry on with their day. Um, and obviously that doesn't happen every workout, but when it does happen, the athletes I've seen who've excelled the most are really comfortable with the idea of this is the workout. This isn't a race. This is a time to practice. Like when you're kind of feeling uncomfortable in a race and you need to stay in the ballpark there, but not push over when you're on the line, um, especially in a longer race. Right. And there's times in a race, especially if, if you're, if it's a bike race or something, you just have to go, but this is more like a, like an Ironman where, you know, maybe you're sitting in whatever place and you're yo-yoing off somebody you want to be riding with. And sometimes in that race, you're going to just give up 10 seconds and then you're going to feel better. They're going to eat or drink and you're going to catch those 10 seconds back up. And it's not a big deal. Um, And I think that mindset transfers over, you know, from training and most people look at it as like, oh, you didn't push yourself. And it's like, no, they pushed themselves just right. They didn't really have it that day. They got the work done and now they're, they're going to move on to the next session and do that workout really well too. If you're going to categorize that, would you say that's like knowing yourself or would you say that's just like knowing how you're feeling in that moment and are able to execute appropriately? I mean, I guess it's both like knowing what's, yeah, executing, knowing what's appropriate and being okay with it. 
Because I think a lot of people know what's appropriate, but they won't do it. They don't have the confidence to go a little bit slower. And it's not easy. Like you're usually not having a great day. You're not feeling peppy when you have those workouts, right? Um, but you have to have the confidence to know, to say, uh, I got the work done, right? It was like, like that's a direct quote from one of those two athletes. Right? <laughs> How did the workout go? I got the work done. Okay. I know exactly what that means. That means you're at the low end of the range. You got the work done. You didn't really have a good time about it and we'll move on to the next one, but like work done. You know what? That's a, actually the most common, exactly what you said. Um, denominator I see between athletes over the years that are, that I see that are like continuously successful that I've coached and the ones that aren't the ones that the ones that are continuously successful are the ones that exactly that, like they, they continue to always just understand where they're at that day and get at, you know, get the most out of themselves that day, whatever that range is. You know, obviously if they're, they also understand if, Hey, it's like, I'm way off the mark and it's, you know, I need to make a judgment call, whether I need to go easy or whatever, but if they're in that range, they're completely confident and calm enough to understand that and get that work done. And it's almost without fail, the ones that have the habit of aiming on the high end range every single time. And when they fall short, they get emotional or panic, or they decide that they're too tired or they can't handle it. And then they quit or they stop, or they just decide like, I need rest today or something like that. But in actual fact, they just blew themselves up. And, and ultimately what that habit produces is a number of missed repetitions and missed workouts, which adds up to less and less fit. Right. Cause that's what we're getting at here is that every time they, if we've got 15 reps to do, they aim on the high end range and then panic and they only get through eight. Well, that's a number of reps that they're not as fit as they could have done if they just started on the low end range and did all 15 reps. Or if they decide when they started the workout, Hey, I'm just, you know, got emotional and I decided to do two hours instead of four. And I, and I pulled the pin because I made all these emotional decisions. Well, now you're, if, and if that happens over and over again, over an extended period of time, all of a sudden we're, let's say over a month, six hours short and, you know, a, a certain load in terms of stress with the intensity w- way off the mark. Well, what is the end result? I'm less prepared and less fit than I should have been had I just targeted the low end range and continued on. And then that's going to result on what you're able to produce in the race. So when we're talking about this emotional stuff for the people who like tangible numbers and data, if you actually track this stuff and you kept track of how many times you pulled the ripcord, when it comes to actual fitness gained at the end of a block that you're prepared to be in the race, not only are you mentally not set up well, but physically you've set yourself up for failure, right? And you want to track those kinds of numbers. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's an endurance sport. Don't ever forget it. (laughs) And like, uh, I don't care how many CrossFit videos you watch. Like you're not going to jump squat and hundred meter dash your way to winning an Ironman. Like you need the reps. So. And I think the biggest thing too, is that what you touched on was like that mental side, right? You've just practiced like not finishing whatever it was, six workouts every month. Then when you show up to a race, like it's going to get hard, you're probably going to make some mistakes. And like the habit you've ingrained is to stop when it gets hard, not like adjust, not overcome you. You've kind of lost a little bit of opportunity to be gritty 
by, by practicing like the exact opposite there. So I think, yeah, those are great opportunities to like, to, you know, learn all about your own RPE and like kind of where you're at, but also you get to practice like saying, Hey, like, I don't feel good. This isn't great. I'm burning whatever 605s instead of six minute pace, but like, I'm going to be gritty and I'm going to finish this workout and I'm going to go home and do what I can to recover. So show up the next day and finish that workout because that's how you're going to show up to the starting line being like, yes, I've like controlled all the controllables. I didn't nail the workouts perfectly, but every time you're practicing, like being gritty, well, finishing I think, the workouts. let me cut in though. You did nail the workout perfectly in that sense. You, well, you did, you did the workout. You just didn't have your fastest day, but yeah. I think that's, that's like, even just, I know that's not what you meant, but like, I think if you take the approach of what is a perfectly nailed workout, you need to keep in mind that what I just described is a perfectly nailed workout, right? Like that's what you want. Sometimes you're tired and you don't go as fast. And sometimes you feel really fresh or you've had a bump in fitness. And so you run on the faster end and that's also a perfectly nailed workout. They're, they're both exactly what you want. Um, and both have different ways that they're mentally challenging. Um, and, and that can happen, you know, like both of those are good. Like you were talking about earlier in the race, how every workout is a chance to practice this. And, and like, that's two ends of the same perfect workout, right. I think, With different I think times. more it's like the people who just stop the workout though. Right. Like, is that, that's what we're talking about more. Is it yeah. like not, well, you sure. Yeah. Yeah. But if you just quit when it gets hard, I think, you know, that's when yeah. you got to take a good solid look at yourself and say like, okay, I need to fix this because it's going to get hard when you race at some point and you've got to have those skills developed to say like, well, one, I know that I can keep going when it gets hard and, and just that skill of, you know, okay, I've, I've been here before. I know how much this sucks right now, but it could turn around five minutes from now, or it could suck the whole way, but I have the um, mental capacity to, to perform anyways, you know? Yeah, no. And, I just to circle back to what Elliot was saying and is I, I do that is a nice, a good mindset shift to not, to not have that in your head. Like you didn't execute them perfectly to say, yeah, like that was kind of perfect on the day. Um, but yeah, it's definitely in the idea of like not practicing stopping. And I mean, just to, I you think, know, well, the reason I wanted to say that is because like our job as coaches is to make it crystal clear that that's all we can ask for sometimes right? We can't ask for this magical grittiness where you just like tough it through, or you like drop insane negative splits on your last couple reps. Like every once in a while, that's nice to see, but coaches who get really stoked on like that insane effort in training are usually just missing the boat that there's another workout coming up and you need to be prepared for that workout. And like, if I ask you to go a hundred and 50, Oh, we, we lost Elliot for a second, but yeah, no, I think having kind of leaving one in the tank or saving another rep is a, definitely a better way to end the workout than kind of full gas and back. I think he's yeah. back. I heard you the whole time. I heard, nice. I know you didn't slander me. So thanks for that. <laughs> and w one thing I do want to touch on here too, is like, there might be some people that are very gritty listening to this that are like, Oh man, there was like, two times in this build where I cut out two intervals and like, I, I should have just stuck it out. Like there's definitely a time and a place to be like, Hey, you know, enough is enough. So I'm, I'm not, 
you know, if you, if you know you're a gritty person, then you should probably be okay. If you do need to kind of pull the pin every once in a while. Yeah. We yeah about like that. it can get in, it can get you into trouble. Right. If you're, if you're, but like in a race, you want to be that person. Like you, you want all those skills. So in some sense, like it's, that's a delicate situation of somebody who really can push themselves and is, is like open to it. You really, as a coach, then your job is, is probably to write them workouts where they don't get into that situation very often. And I think that's kind of like one of the, when you find that out as a coach, you're like, okay, this person is going to like try to run through walls. So you need to make sure that you're just having them like walk over a small fence, you know, because otherwise they're going to kill themselves. That's, um, the, that's the art part that, you know, art of coaching versus just always, you know, numbers and programs. That's where people get into trouble with just like purchasing a you know, a program and they don't have anyone regulating and monitoring them. Cause there's certainly in our sport, plenty of those people. We talked about that at camp where you, are you, some people are born with a certain amount of grit. And obviously if you're an endurance sport, you, you've probably, you've, you've like most likely got that, right. You're born with a certain amount of, of actual ability to handle a lot. And, and some people have more than others in that capacity. Right. And it's like, then from there, can it be trained? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's trained every day. That's part of what we do, but yeah, I mean, as coaches, it's an important, if people who are listening to this are, are coaching a roster of athletes, you absolutely want to know which ones are the ones that was a great visual Elliot, like which ones are the ones that are going to run through walls and your whole job is protecting them from themselves. So that the day that they run through a wall, it's at least on a, on a start line that it, that it means something and you get them there without you know, them doing that to themselves on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the hardest part about this sport. And then, and also realizing like people change during the course of the season and some people like sometimes like a flip switch, a, a switch flips and <laughs> tongue twister. And, uh, and you, you, you're like, Oh, now they're ready. Right. And you're like, and it's good to practice that a little bit but not too often. And I think that goes for, you know, the person who's willing to do it. You, you don't want them to practice it never because it's a skill that they have. And so, you know, that's one of the things we always talk about, like racing um, somewhat frequently is good for most people, you know, um, even if it's just to kind of get the, go through the sensations of all that. And then I guess we just kind of like loop the conversation right back to the point of like, oh, there's something out of your control. How do you, how do you control that when, you know, and stay calm in the moment and execute? So when you're running through that brick wall and something goes out of control, how do you execute? <laughs> oh, that's a fantastic visual, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I think, I think we kind of brought it full circle there. I, I think that was a, a good little rundown of some things you can do right now to help prepare yourself for, for racing. The season is upon us. What is it? Summer is coming. I think it's Are we going to get sued? But... Well, yeah, but summer is triathlon, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and we don't want to get we don't want to get sued by HBO. Um, <laughs> and I think I don't know one one thing that I just want to throw in there to kind of wrap this up, unless you guys need to do some other wrapping, is that um, you know racing is is kind of a, a privilege, and we found that out over the last couple of years that you know we lost a lot of a chances to race. And so if you do have a chance to race, you know, you should really try and take advantage of that opportunity and understand it's like a gift to be able to show up at a starting line now. And, and yeah. Um, so enjoy the moment and, um, 
try and smile a little bit out there and have a little fun because at the end of the day, it is supposed to be fun. And be nice to volunteers. And be nice to volunteers. <laughs> Maybe give some high fives. Make it till you make it. Yes. <laughs> uh, fun chat, guys. Thank All you. Right, team. Thanks have for spending an hour with me. Yeah. Cheers.